If you don't have an email list, then you don't have a direct line to your customers. Reaching your clients, audience, supporters, and fans with the right message at the right time in the right place becomes easy when you've got a strategic email list in place. My email list is the number one way I drive profits in my business. And major bonus here, it's a lot easier and way more fun than you might think. That's why I'm teaching a free live workshop all about growing your email list called From Zero Subscribers or Zero Strategy to an Engaged Email List That Lasts. I'll show you how to kick off your email list building strategy with no fear because I know it can be scary to start something new in your business. Save your virtual seat at growanemaillist.com. Inside of my free live workshop, you'll learn why email marketing is 10 times more effective than posting on social media, my secret to sending out weekly emails without adding a ton of work to my plate, my best tips for getting people to hit subscribe, and what to actually say to them to convert them from subscribers to paying clients and customers. Save your seat now at growanemaillist.com. That's growanemaillist.com to get started with an email list strategy that drives real results. I'll see you at the masterclass. But one of the things that I think is most important to continuously name is that none of us know how to do this. Like none of us know how to create a world that is completely equitable and just. If we knew we'd have it. Hey, my name is Jenna Kutcher, and I am obsessed with all things business, marketing numbers, and helping you to navigate both the messy and the magical seasons of this thing called life. I'm a small town mama who took a $300 camera, grew a successful photo biz, and now I work from home and run a seven-figure online business. I teach you the tried and true secrets to building a career you adore. Shy away from the real talk? (laughs) No way. Money, hardship, growth, loss, and marketing are all topics we discuss here. Think of this as your one-stop shop for happy hour with a gal pal mixed with business school. Pull up a seat, make sure you're cozy, and get ready to be challenged and encouraged while you learn. This is the Gold Digger Podcast. Our world is at a crossroads of crises, a lingering global pandemic, women's rights at risk, our climate in a downward spiral, a fight for equity and racial justice. The list goes on. And I don't list these things off to bring you into gloom and doom territory, but rather to set the stage for a positive and enlightening conversation about what you and your business can do about everything that's happening around us right now. You can make a difference all while running a financially successful business. By the time our guest today, Trudy LeBron, was 16, she had two children and had dropped out of high school. All of the odds were against her. Today, Trudy runs a million-dollar coaching and consulting firm, helping entrepreneurs and coaches build anti-racist businesses and become equity-centered coaches and leaders. She is the CEO of Script Flip and creator of the Institute for Equity-Centered Coaching. And right now, Trudy is on the Gold Digger podcast to talk about leading an equity-centered and values-driven business, justice-based commerce, her new book, The Anti-Racist Business Book, and all of the ways that you can contribute to the social good while still pursuing profits within your company. Here she is, Trudy LeBron. My friend and repeat Gold Digger podcast guest, Sanira Madani, is on the HubSpot Podcast Network. It is so cool to be in such good company on the network with Sanira. If you haven't tuned into her show before, CEO School needs to be your next listen. CEO School is committed to closing the gap and helping more women level up by sharing stories and strategies from powerful women in leadership. Because nothing bad happens when women make more money. 
Sanira recently interviewed the OG girl boss, Sophia Amoruso, about building million dollar brands and media trainer Jessica Abo on how to nail your media appearances and pitches. Listen to Sanira Madani's show, CEO School, wherever you get your podcasts. Trudy, welcome to the Gold Digger podcast. Thank you so much for having me. Oh, I'm so excited. This has been years in the making, and I'm just so excited to get this opportunity to ask you questions and to let people listen in on your story, your journey, and the things that you've got going on. So will you first start with me and walk me through where did your path to CEO begin? Like, were you little Trudy, someone who always envisioned yourself becoming a business owner? Not quite like that. (laughs) I certainly was envisioning like a alternative life to, you know, the traditional kind of wake up in the morning and go to the nine to five. I watched my parents do that. And I definitely knew that that wasn't for me, but I actually thought that I would be like a hip hop artist. Stop. When I was a kid. Yeah. actually, that's, that's amazing. That's exactly what I thought I was going to do. I studied music and theater. And yeah, I did a lot of performance when I was young. All that served me in all kinds of interesting ways these days. Why do we not incorporate this more into your life right now? I need to see some of these hip hop abilities. (laughs) Yes, 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 for sure. (laughs) So my path was a little bit of a roundabout kind of way. You know, the biggest thing was confronting the reality that the career I had chosen for myself, which was in the nonprofit sector, working with young people who grew up in inner cities, like the one that I grew up in, was work that I really loved, but also work that was not going to pay my student loans. So that was like a really practical need to learn how to, you know, side hustle and take the skills and training that I had and kind of leverage it and make some extra money in the nonprofit space. But as I kind of learned more about entrepreneurship, I realized that there was a big divide between what nonprofits were able to do and the innovation that was kind of required and that I was seeing in kind of the online business world. And at the time, the term was lifestyle design, lots of you know people blogging and digital nomads and things like that. And so I was watching a lot of that stuff happen online and realized that there was a whole lot of like innovation and get up and go that the nonprofit world could benefit from. But the reverse was true. There was a lot of principles in serving people and in business that I was working on in the nonprofit sector that I did not see happening in like the online business space. Mm. And that kind of gave me a little bit of direction when I was trying to think about like, what's my niche going to be? What am I going to you know, how am I going to contribute? And I just continue to see a lot of need in the online business space. And, you know, when I say online business, that includes like coaching, personal development, any kind of like online brands, people who are, you know, wanting those similar kinds of things, wanting to live anywhere, live a life of freedom, but also, you know, make money and be able to support themselves. And I just saw a huge opportunity to kind of bridge that gap. That's incredible. And I think it's really exciting for people when they hear stories like yours, where you see that gap. And instead of waiting for someone else to fill it, you're like, and I will figure out how to bridge this gap. 
Can you walk me through what is equity centered coaching and explain what it is and how you landed on this idea? So equity centered coaching is our proprietary approach to coaching and method philosophy of coaching that basically puts the coach practitioner in a position and gives them the skills that they need to support people through all different kinds of transformations and really anchor their skill in conversations around identity, anti-oppression, personal, you know, personal growth that is impacted by systemic inequities. And that's something that all everyone kind of faces, right? We all internalize narratives that come from the world about who we're supposed to be. And those things are really influenced by power and inequity and historic inequity. So our coaches who come and learn equity-centered coaching are really wanting to be able to serve people and hold a wider context for their life. One of the things that is true when I was working in the nonprofit world, doing a lot of racial equity work and anti-racism training is that the one of the biggest life or one of the predictors in someone's life outcomes are race and zip code. Those are two of the biggest predictors of someone's life. And my position and the position of equity-centered coaching and all of the work that we do is that if someone is in the business of transformation, of supporting the transformation of other people, and they don't have an understanding of how things like identity And a zip code, like race and zip code, ethnicity, some of these other things that are really dominant influences in someone's life. If you're in the business of transformation and you don't understand that context, your practice is missing a really key component. And so our work strives to help people, again, fill that gap, really teach them to understand how those things are true, how they can be untrue, like how we can kind of do things to make shifts in in our lives so that we can overcome those things and start to change outcomes. And hopefully, eventually, the idea is that we live in a world where we no longer have race and zip code as those kinds of predictors in someone's life. That's really, really compelling. Walk me through. So as someone who recently released a book, you have also done that. The anti-racist business book. And you kind of dig further into these topics and you talk about things like toxic capitalism versus justice-based commerce. Walk me through those different things and talk to me a little bit about your book journey. Oh my goodness. The book journey was really interesting. And I'll just say that when I started the book journey, it was a very different book because in 2019, when I started talking to agents, the world was not necessarily ready to have the book that I wrote to the anti-racist business book. It was really hard to get people, particularly people who have online businesses and online businesses are really unique and small business in general, but online business is really unique because we can work with people all over the world from our homes, you know, which means that we're interacting with people of all different identities and cultures and languages and all of these kinds of things. And it also means that, you know, the entrepreneur, the owner of the company 
can kind of make decisions quickly, right? And they're not influenced by a board of directors or a whole bunch of, you know, owners or partners in the business. Like people can really make decisions quickly. And because of that, it was really challenging from between, I would say between 2016, when I really started kind of leaning into this angle really intentionally, it was kind of difficult to get people to understand why this work was so important, why it was important for coaches, people in personal development world, people in online business to start paying attention to race, to diversity, to oppression, all of these kinds of things. And so, you know, in 2019, it was still pretty difficult to get people to pay attention. And of course, in 2020, the world shifted in all kinds of ways. And so I was able to write the book that I feel needed to be written. So it was definitely a formative experience. It kind of, you know, shifted and evolved. The writing process itself was pretty, I would say it was pretty quick. I probably wrote the book in about six months, but it was content that I had been, you know, sitting on and kind of pulling together for years. And because I was with a new publishing house, Row House Publishers, They, you know, I was the second book under the publishing house to be released. And so we had a really tight timeline and we just kind of had to get it done. So it was pretty intense, but I really enjoyed it. You know, it's so interesting because there's so much timing involved. And I feel like one thing you touched on is like with the digital world, you can have this idea, put it out into the world, get feedback, you know, edit it, whatever. And with a book it's a totally different process, has that long gestation period. And I'm glad to hear that in that timing, it probably was a beautiful way for you to get your message out at an even greater volume than you would have if it would have come out immediately when you first started working on it. Do you agree? Yeah, 100%. You know, I thought that I was going to be writing a book that was going to be very geared towards coaching and the practice of coaching and like more social impact business, which there is a lot of that in the book, but I was able to really lean in hard to that angle of anti-racism and anti-oppression, which, which is what was needed. But again, had I wrote the book in 2018 or 2019, I don't know that the world would have been ready for it in the same way. Yeah. Will you walk me through, Trudy, what is justice-based commerce and how is it different from toxic capitalism? Because I think both of those words and kind of the descriptors are really important for entrepreneurs to understand. Yes. So first I'll say that the reason that I started to sit with these concepts is because lots of folks, myself included, who grew up in the nonprofit, who came into their career through the nonprofit space, have this really difficult relationship, like this really difficult relationship with money and and earning money and all kinds of things. And not it's not just people in nonprofit world, but it's definitely prevalent there very much. And for folks who, you know, maybe grew up with not having a whole bunch of money, like there's this narrative that having money is bad and capitalism is bad. And it's like the root of all evil and all of this. And I really wanted to kind of understand where that came from. I wanted to understand capitalism. Um, you know, I wanted to say, well, what, what is this really? And so I started like doing the research. This has been years in the making now, really starting to like understand what capitalism is, 
who some of the early thinkers of capitalism was, how things have shifted. And what I realized is that the biggest challenges with capitalism are the things that we see is really like the extremes, like the people who have billions and billions of dollars and, you know, are not taking care of their employees well and have hostile work environments and are not paying people equitably and, you know, taking advantage of people and all the exploitation. And then there's a whole bunch of problems with capitalism on the policy side, right? And so there are lots of parts of capitalism that are hugely problematic. And I call those things toxic capitalism. And I want to separate those more insidious components of capitalism from just the ability for someone to open a business on their own and set their own rates and have a daycare out of their house, for example, right? We can do that because we have a capitalist economic system, right? The reason that I can have a business in the way that I have it and the reason that when I was 19 or 20 in college and hustling, I studied theater and I was like hustling teaching our, you know, theater classes on the side, like to elementary schools and things like that. Like I was able to do that so easily because we have a capitalist economic system. And, right, and there are also (laughs) tons of parts of capitalism that I cannot stand. So because of that, I don't want to throw capitalism in the garbage, right? And I think that there's a lot of folks who talk about anti-capitalism as the kind of the idea that we all need to be moving towards. And I really want to challenge us to think about that because anti-capitalism is not inherently anti-racist. And my core, I think, intent is to, again, to live in that world where people's life outcomes are no longer connected to their race and zip code. I think that just commerce, which is a justice-based idea of the exchange of money and goods and services can still exist in a in an economy that is capitalist but we have a lot of work to do again on that policy side so that we don't have the kind of exploitation and oppression that happens in the book what i'm trying to do is help people see the differences between that kind of policy side and the toxic elements of capitalism that perpetuate inequity and poverty and all of these kinds of things, but that we don't have to throw the whole thing away because there are some parts of it that are worth salvaging and that actually might have some solutions for us to be contributing to more economic equity. Wow. Yes. You've probably heard the quote from the philosopher who said, change is the only constant in life. And it's true. Everything is always changing and evolving, but that doesn't mean we always enjoy it, especially when it comes to your business. HubSpot's CRM platform helps you make major moves confidently. Confidence to go big, go home, go local or global. With HubSpot, all of your marketing and operations and sales tools are in one place, meaning you have the right data at the right time to make the right call. A single source of truth means your teams are supported by a powerful system that helps lighten the busy work and create more time and space for big thinking. 
As a connected customer platform, HubSpot provides more than just software. It helps you and your teams create deeper, more meaningful relationships with your customers so you can grow better together. Learn how HubSpot can help your business grow better at HubSpot.com. Gold diggers, we all know the B2B landscape can be a bit complex. From lengthy buying cycles to complicated decision-making processes, reaching your target audience can be tough. But I found a solution tailored just for you. LinkedIn ads. A whopping 79% of B2B content marketers say LinkedIn produces the best results for paid media. That's because with LinkedIn ads, you're not just casting a wide net and hoping for the best. You're strategically building relationships and driving real results. We're talking about a platform with over a billion members, including 180 million senior level executives and 10 million C-level executives. You are networking with the actual decision makers. And LinkedIn's targeting and measurement tools are specifically designed for B2B marketers, meaning you're not wasting time or money on irrelevant leads. In fact, in the tech industry, LinkedIn ads have been shown to generate two to five times higher return on ad spend compared to other social media platforms. Using LinkedIn ads allows you to stay ahead of the curve when it comes to industry trends and developments, whether it's finding the perfect partner for a collaboration or uncovering new opportunities for growth, LinkedIn can be your secret weapon. Make B2B marketing everything it can be and get a hundred dollar credit on your next campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash goal to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash goal. Terms and conditions apply. Yeah, that is a really great way of explaining it. And I am guessing that listeners are hopefully nodding their head along with you. And so maybe the next question to follow that up would be then, how does a business pursue profits as this end goal while also contributing to social good? Because I think a lot of us can see like these systems, these these things that we've relied on, you know, are not working any longer. I don't want to contribute to the problem. I want to contribute to the good. Is there room for both? Like, how do you find that balance? And what does that look like for someone who is pursuing a life as an entrepreneur? I certainly think that there is room for both. That is, I mean, that's one of my most important messages, I think, is that we can do business and that we can do good business and we can be working for social change, right? That is, and in fact, we need more people who have this like justice-based heart, who are interested in racial justice, in all kinds of justice, really, who have economic resources to be doing the things like, you know, supporting politicians who can actually change policies and being able to hire employees and paying them, paying them equitably and giving them health insurance, if that's something that you can do, you know, that we can create businesses that are good stewards to not only our clients, but to our teams and, you know, our kind of broader communities. And the way that we do that is with money, right? And I think that there, again, there are tons of people who are working in the online business space or anti-racism or different kinds of justice work whose solution is, again, like, anti-capitalism and kind of moving in a different direction. But one of the things that I think is most important to continuously name is that none of us know how to do this. Like none of us know how to create a world that is completely equitable and just. If we knew, we'd have it. 
And so what we have are a lot of ideas and a lot of theories and a lot of practices, and we have lots of best practices. And our job, I think, is to continue to practice to get better and kind of create space for folks to have businesses that, you know, are successful and to continuously improve and leave space for improvement and leave space for grace in the process because we're going to make mistakes, right? So I 100% believe that it is completely possible to have a business that is profitable, that takes care of your family and the life that you want to live, but also can take care of others and a community and move kind of social progress forward. Uh, Yes, I agree. I want to know, so if somebody is listening and I want to do this myself too, how can a business owner evaluate where their business stands right now, like in terms of equity values and social impact? Because the more I talk to entrepreneurs and even more specifically female entrepreneurs, there is this deep desire to, you know, help change and shift the world that we live in and to help, you know, for future generations. And so is there kind of a way to measure like, here's where we're at right now, equity, value, social impact, and here's how you can move forward? There is. And I wish there was like a simple way a to quiz. kind of say, <laughs> here's like the checklist that you can go, you know, mm-hmm. download and do. And that is just not how this work happens. Yep. This work is extremely interpersonal. It's community-based. It takes time. One of the things that I say all the time is that urgency interrupts equity. And so when we're mm. looking to be like efficient, right? And like get the download and check the boxes and just kind of like hurry up and like do the things, we are actually really likely to miss something. And equity work is extremely relational. It's extremely like conversational. You have to like really be in conversations with people, be critically thinking about where you stand, what your values are, how those things are being operationalized in your business. So yeah, there are definitely ways to do it. But what I want to make sure I'm clear about is that I don't think that there is one right way that this happens. And that's why you can't just like download a checklist because it's really in order for it to be authentic, the leader or leaders in the company need to make sure they're on the same page, need to make sure that they understand what those words even mean, right? Some people don't even really know what equity means or what like having values in your business means, like having a values, you know, based or values led business means. So taking the time to get people on the same page, to look at your policies, practices, and procedures, make sure that all of the things that you're wanting to do are kind of coming through in all of your day-to-day decisions. One of the things that I've been doing for years, and I did this, you know, I do this with small companies and also with large, I used to do this work with large school districts over the course of three years, where we would, you know, just take a year to create a strategic equity plan, Mm -hmm. right? So this work is not fast. And I think that what I hope is that people can find comfort in that because if it's fast or if we just like say that, you know, we need to make all these changes quick, they're not going to be fully embodied. You're going to 
have people push up against you. You're not going to have time to sit with your decisions and really integrate them. It's just when we make decisions quickly, it's easy to just like leave them to the side just as quickly. So taking time to do this work, working with a facilitator who has a background in this, you know, this kind of work is extremely important because it's just hard. It's, you know, it's hard and it's not check the box. Mm -hmm. Oh, I think that's so powerful. I love referrals and recommendations. Do you have any companies or business owners that you see effectively addressing and evolving their business to better serve the social good? Like, is there anyone that we should be watching or anyone that we should be supporting as they evolve and in turn invite everyone else to evolve as well? So what is tricky about that is that, you know, I try to make a practice of not commenting on what people are doing unless I'm working with them. Because here's the thing. There's a lot. It's happening on the inside. It's so easy (laughs) to like throw up a, you know, Instagram post or to like put your diversity statement on your website and not change any of your hiring processes or your firing processes or how you, you know, compensate people. Like there's just so much that we don't see. Right. So what I, what I can say though, is that as you're looking at companies and trying to evaluate who you want to support, who you want to do business with, asking questions about, you know, do you have a strategic equity plan? How do you, you know, what kind of work have you done around diversity, equity, inclusion over the last however many years now that we have had, you know, a lot of attention being paid to this work? Is there any evidence on their website that they have taken this on in a serious way? Talking to other clients, talking to people who work there, you know, those kinds of things are the things that will give you a lot of insight. Mm -hmm. I love that. Hey, gold diggers. Lately, I've been getting excited to finish furnishing our new home, which is why I want to tell you about a brand that we absolutely love, which is Article. I have been a fan and a customer of Article for years. I'm always blown away by the curated assortment of furniture styles they offer. They have mid-century modern, coastal, industrial, Scandinavian, and even boho designs. There is something for everyone, no matter your taste. In our last house, we had their sofa and leather chairs. At our lake house, we have their dining table and chairs. We also just ordered some of their outdoor furniture for our new patio. Like, if you can't tell, we are obsessed with Article. The quality and style are top-notch. Article's online-only model means that they can offer some great prices with fast and hassle-free delivery. Pick the delivery time that works for you, and they keep you updated every step of the way. Article's customer is also amazing. They're knowledgeable, friendly, and always there when you need them. If you're like me and you're itching to give your home a makeover, I highly recommend checking out Article. They believe in delightful design for every home. And thanks to their commitment to style, quality, and affordability, it's never been easier to transform your space. Article is offering our listeners $50 off your first purchase of $100 or more. To claim, visit article.com slash gold digger and the discount will be automatically applied at checkout. That's article.com slash gold digger for $50 off your first purchase of $100 or more. On top of my many titles as mom, entrepreneur, and creative, I've also added host. Drew and I host on Airbnb on our favorite island in Hawaii. We started hosting as a way to make some extra income, and we've had such an easy breezy experience. 
Now we host year after year, and it's been a fantastic side hustle. Not to brag, but we've also been crowned Airbnb Superhost several times, so we are really killing the game. It's about having spaces we can enjoy as a family while creating memorable experiences for our guests, and it helps that we earn a little extra cash on the side. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Switching gears, Trudy, I want to go a little bit back to your origin story and how you carved a space in this world. For somebody that's listening that sees a gap and knows that they have the skills or the knowledge or the education or the background to fill a gap, do you have any bits of advice for kind of creating a niche business, something that you might not see someone else already doing? Yeah, I think one of the most important things that I can share if someone is seeing that there's a gap that needs to be filled, but that people don't know that it needs to be filled yet, is that you have to take the time up at the you know start of your business to do a lot of educating people. It's not a traditional marketing funnel that you might need to create. You might have to take you know, a good amount of time just educating people about why it's important. And so any opportunity that you have to get in front of people to write about your ideas, to write about the problems, start a podcast, just talk about it endlessly, get in front of, you know, like any opportunity that you can to like, whether it's like a digital Zoom webinar or podcast or summit, like any opportunity is just so important to start sharing why your work is important and then collecting it, right? So there's a lot of folks, I remember I made this mistake early on, you know, just trying to get on all the podcasts, trying to get on all the writing a bunch of blogs, but then like not having it organized because having it organized is important because the second step after you create this educational content is that you have to continue to refer people to it. So what happened with some of the content that I created early on, including one of one of the podcasts that I co-host, that's not how that works, is that when people would ask questions, instead of answering them, like on Facebook, for, for example, instead of answering the question, I'd refer them to a podcast or I'd refer them to a blog that I had written. And then other people started to do the same thing. And so... Taking the time to do the education about why it's important. And then the second thing is relationship building. Like just, oh man, I cannot stress how important it is to just build relationships with people. And I am certainly not a fan of the advice that's just like, oh, work for free and do all the speaking for free. Like not everybody could do that. And, you know, we should be compensating people for their labor and their expertise. And that does not negate this idea of generosity and like relationships. Yeah. So I remember a couple of years, you know, just meeting folks and they would tell me about some of the challenges that they were facing in their business or questions they had about diversity. And I would just, you know, in conversation, just start answering questions. And then when it got to the point that it was, you know, that they needed some kind of help, I would share with them how I could help them implement but just being really generous with my like knowledge was just transformational to some of the relationships that I was really able to authentically build that in many cases since then have turned into genuine friendships and collaborations with people. 
So generosity and teaching and showing up, even when it feels like nobody's listening. Yeah. Extremely important. I couldn't agree more. And you made such a good point, Trudy, in the sense of like, so many of us have created so many pieces of content, but we don't even know how to point people to them. And so then we spend our time repeating ourselves over and over and over again. And like you have built up, I mean, when you think about all of the places that you are creating and sharing from a podcast to a book, to blogs, to, you know, all of these different places, it's such a beautiful reminder for people. Like if you can organize that and send people to how it's organized, it's not only going to save you time, but it's going to give them a better experience because when you sit down to intentionally create something versus when you're just off the cuff, trying to quickly serve and answer a question, it meets them where they're at without you having to be a broken record, which I think is such a great reminder. Totally. And oftentimes that content is so well thought out Yes, that it's just such a better resource anyway. Yes. Oh my goodness. Okay. So I want to circle back to your book and I really want my listeners to get their hands on it. I think that this conversation is so compelling. And I think it's something that so many people need and maybe they're not ready to hire somebody to come into their business for a year, but they're very curious and driven to change. Tell me a little bit more about your book. Who is it for? And then what do you hope to see as a result of what you teach inside of the book? So the book is really for anyone who owns a business, works in a business, buys things from businesses. It's really for everybody who interacts with businesses. Because, you know, even though there's a good section of the book that does talk about implementation, like, you know, here's how you might consider writing your community agreements and your values. And there is that kind of like applied content in there. But the first section of the book is really kind of laying out you know, what some of the challenges are with business in the first place, how we need to reframe the way we think about business, what anti-racism is, like how we should be thinking about it in the context of our work and our leadership. So it's really for, you know, anyone who is interested in business at all. I have heard from so many people who have read the book who said that, you know, it helped them give language to things that they were feeling or problems that they were seeing and didn't understand, you know, why they were happening. So definitely, you know, the business has a more general application than just for people who are starting businesses. For people who are starting businesses or who are leaders in another business, what I hope is that it starts to give inspiration to making small changes. There's a lot of things in there that just can give someone some ideas for how to move towards being a little bit more values driven the changes that you can make in a hiring process ways that you can apply your community agreements or your values into your day-to-day decision making reframing your relationship with money so what i hope is that people you know kind of use the book and not go and like implement everything, which is actually something I say at the end of the book. It's not meant to be, again, a checklist that you go and just say, okay, we did chapter one, chapter two, chapter three. But that you kind of, it's, that becomes almost like a tool that you reference back to every now and then. And you go, okay, well, now we're going to work on this or now we're going to work on that until, you know, hopefully at some point people are ready to get support, whether that's from me or someone else, but that the book is a good starting point for people to just begin the inquiry if, if they haven't yet. 
Oh, amazing. Trudy, where can everybody find you, learn more about you, grab your book, give me all of the places that we can connect. Yes. So the book can be purchased anywhere books are sold. So all the big retailers, and if you're able to get the book or order the book through an independent local bookshop, we always, you know, recommend that that's something that you consider, but I know that not everybody can do that. So if Amazon is where you have to go, that's totally fine as well. And the best place to come and hang out with me and kind of be introduced to the world is on Instagram, actually. And I'm just at Trudy Lebrun, Trudy with an I. Amazing. Everyone go grab your copy of the anti-racist business book. Trudy, thank you for the work that you do and the way that you show up. I am consistently inspired by you and I just love following your journey and watching it all unfold. Thank you so much for having me, Jenna. It has been great. You are the best. Thank you so much for tuning in to today's episode. I think it was a really powerful conversation and I hope that you leave it feeling empowered to dig in a little deeper. I think a lot of us are looking around and we see that the systems are broken, but if we want to be a part of the rebuild, we have to equip ourselves with the knowledge and the know-how to do so in a way that serves the greater good. I sincerely hope that everyone grabs a copy of Trudy's book, The Anti-Racist Business Book, wherever books are sold, and support her in her quest to teach the world about equity-centered coaching, businesses, and leadership. So grateful that you hit play on today's episode. And of course, gold diggers, until next time, keep on digging your biggest goals. I'm over here giving you a virtual high five because you just finished another episode of the Gold Digger podcast. Did that go by way too fast for anyone else? If you want more, head over to golddiggerpodcast.com for show notes and all the discount codes from today's sponsors. And if you're looking for a new crew of movers and shakers like you to bounce ideas and ask questions, be sure to join my exclusive community for gold diggers on Facebook. The link's waiting for you at golddiggerpodcast.com. Hey, Gold Diggers. Lately, I've been getting excited to finish furnishing our new home, which is why I want to tell you about a brand that we absolutely love, which is Article. I have been a fan and a customer of Article for years. I'm always blown away by the curated assortment of furniture styles they offer. They have mid-century modern, coastal, industrial, Scandinavian, and even boho designs. There is something for everyone, no matter your taste. In our last house, we had their sofa and leather chairs. At our lake house, we have their dining table and chairs. We also just ordered some of their outdoor furniture for our new patio. Like, if you can't tell, we are obsessed with Article. The quality and style are top-notch. Article's online-only model means that they can offer some great prices with fast and hassle-free delivery. Pick the delivery time that works for you, and they keep you updated every step of the way. Article's customer care team is also amazing. They're knowledgeable, friendly, and always there when you need them. If you're like me and you're itching to give your home a makeover, I highly recommend checking out Article. They believe in delightful design for every home. And thanks to their commitment to style, quality, and affordability, it's never been easier to transform your space. Article is offering our listeners $50 off your first purchase of $100 or more. To claim, visit article.com slash gold digger and the discount will be automatically applied at checkout. That's article.com slash gold digger for $50 off your first purchase of $100 or more.